you're listening to the Nonprofit Buildup Podcast, and I'm your host, Nick Campbell. I want to support movements that can interrupt cycles of injustice and inequity and shift power towards vulnerable and marginalized communities. I've spent years working in and with nonprofits and philanthropies, and I know how important infrastructure is to outcomes. On this show, we'll talk about how to build capacity to transform the way you and your organization work. Hi, everyone. It's Steph, Buildup's Executive Portfolio Liaison. This week on the Nonprofit Buildup is part one of a two-part discussion between Buildup's founder and CEO, Nick, and founder and president of CSR Communications, Nancy Murphy. Nancy's experience designing and implementing sustainability, community engagement, and philanthropic strategies has made her well-versed in navigating the challenges of leading big change within established organizations. In this episode, Nancy will be sharing insights on leading, supporting, strategizing, and re-energizing big change initiatives, especially given the current climate. You won't want to miss it. And with that, here's part one of Leading Within Organizational Change with Nancy Murphy. Hi, Nancy. Welcome to the Nonprofit Buildup. Hi, Nicole. Great to be here. Yes, I am really looking forward to our conversation. And to get us started... Can you tell us about CSR Communications, your role there, and CSR Communications' immediate priority, particularly given where we find ourselves today? Yeah, well, thank you for that invitation. So I am the founder and CEO of CSR Communications and creator of the Intrapreneur's Influence Lab. So that's really designed to support those folks who are driving change from within organizations. And we specialize in the human psychology that makes organizational change possible, because we know that organizational change is often necessary for social purpose organizations to realize, achieve their next big initiative to rapidly expand their impact. So we really specialize in getting change leaders the skills they need to lead that change effectively. And that's our immediate priority right now, given what's going on in the world, right? And how much change we're all reacting to because it's being thrust upon us and how much change we're proactively driving because of the sense of urgency of things that need to change in the world. So our immediate priority is how do we get more entrepreneurs, more change leaders, the skills they need to deal with the change coming at them and that they're driving right now. I really love the term entrepreneurs, and I'd love to hear more about how you are working with organizations and in particular entrepreneurs to manage the change that they're encountering as they do their work. I mean, the environment that we're in, there's so much happening and a lot of organizations have had to change strategy, adapt it. And so I'd love to just hear a little bit more about how you're showing up to work with these organizations. Yeah, well, you just mentioned strategy. So that's one way is we support leaders and teams as they're designing and implementing those strategic leaps inside their organization. So what is the strategy that's going to drive the next big initiative or that's going to enable them to shift and adapt in this shifting and changing environment? We also do a lot around change leadership. So 
I personally do not like the term change management because it assumes that change is a logical, linear, predictable thing. And if we just have the right Gantt charts and checklists, that it's all going to go just as planned, right? Organizations are made up of people and humans are messy beings. They're emotional beings. That's why we talk about specializing in the human psychology that makes organizational change possible. So we do a lot around re-energizing change journeys, how to lead change effectively. That's a big part of what our Entrepreneurs Influence Lab is all about, equipping leaders with the skills, tools, and techniques to deal with the human psychology that makes organizational change hard, overcome resistance to change, and have a re-energizing change journey versus a de-energizing one, you know, that sort of leads to that change revolt (laughs) eventually from fatigue to exhaustion to revolt. We also do a lot with communication, message development, communication strategy internally and externally, and then, of course, board development, because boards are a big part of whether change is even imagined inside organizations and whether change succeeds or fails inside our organizations. And I like how you have described change as being nonlinear and a journey, which really resonates because it is not linear at all. You can't plan for it in in many ways. And you do have to make sure that you are supporting leaders as they move through changes in their strategy, changes in their operations, and how that sort of works throughout the organization. When you talk about re-energizing a change journey, I love that, that phrasing. Can you speak a little bit more about how you go about re-energizing a change journey and what that looks like. Yeah. So this will probably sound familiar to many people. If you are the leader of change inside an organization, if this is kind of your vision and maybe you've been thinking about it for a long time before you've shared it externally and it's kind of all mapped out in your head and you totally understand it and you've been sitting with it for a while, or whether there's some change coming at you that you have to implement. So COVID protocols or you know whatever it might be. That when we put something out there for the first time, that moment we describe as change curiosity, right? For the folks who are hearing this for the first time. And a big part of being able to move forward to change the behavior or do things differently that that our leaders are asking of us is to be able to make meaning of it for ourselves, right? So how do we do that? We ask questions. We try to learn more. We're trying to understand what does it mean for me? Well, did you think about this? Did you consider the implication here? So that moment of change curiosity is really important. But what we do as leaders most of the time is we get kind of frustrated. Well, just get on board. Why are you asking this question? Don't you understand? It's all super clear in my head, right? (laughs) Or it's our baby. And we get defensive when people start asking questions. So at that moment, the way we respond or typically react to the change curiosity is to shut it down. We dismiss it. We suppress it. We misunderstand it. You know, we think people are not capable of making the change or they're against change or they're naysayers, or we think it'll just go away. And when we do that, 
that's where people start to get the change fatigue, the change exhaustion, and eventually change revolt because leaders don't react appropriately. So what we do is help people understand that resistance is a gift. What is this teaching us? What blind spots is it illuminating? How are people using these questions to make meaning and understand it? And then when we give people the tools and techniques to embrace that resistance and to use it to make the idea stronger and better, then we can move instead into change readiness, change resourcefulness, and change harmony instead of devolving into that revolt. And in addition to understanding the psychological triggers that make change hard, what are the common types of resistance and what's really underneath them and how do we overcome them? A big part of the work we do with change leaders is teaching them to operate a little bit more like Indiana Jones. (laughs) And what do I mean by that? I mean, go on an archaeological dig to find what we at CSR Communications call artifacts. So all the little things we leave behind when we move forward with change that tell us who and what we value, what matters, and how things really get done around here. And oftentimes those conflict with the change we want. And so again, what leads to a de-energizing change journey? Well, little things that we've left behind that send signals that maybe we're not serious about the change. Maybe the change isn't real. So it erodes trust inside our organizations. Well, you're saying one thing, but all these little signals I'm getting over here are telling me something different. Or what else leads to fatigue, exhaustion, and revolt? Making it harder to do the things you're asking me to do. There's too much friction, right? Well, why? Because we have systems and processes artifacts that were left behind that are aligned with the old ways of thinking and working and doing. And so you're making it really, really hard for me to do the thing you've now asked me to do. So again, that leads to fatigue, exhaustion, and revolt. So we've got to unearth those artifacts. We've got to identify them, first of all, unearth them, replace them with ones that are aligned with the change so that we don't get that de-energizing change journey. That all makes really good sense. And I think one of the things that you said really resonated with me and stuck out, which was leadership's response and reaction to that change curiosity. And so when I think about that, I think about different stakeholders within the process. And I wonder if there is a group of stakeholders that you focus on more than others. So for example, we started this conversation talking about entrepreneurs because you're saying that you do a lot of work with entrepreneurs. They're driving the change from within. But I think about other stakeholders within the organization that may not be entrepreneurs, but they're still part of making sure that the organization advances its mission. When you think about this change journey and leadership's response and reaction to change curiosity, how do you decide or do you decide on focusing on a group of stakeholders? Is it the entrepreneurs? Is it the folks who are not entrepreneurs and they're really skeptical about what's happening? Where do you spend your energy and and how do you make that determination? Yeah. So let me go to a short answer first, and then I'll go to a little bit longer answer about the process. So one of the mistakes I think most entrepreneurs, most change leaders make 
is, and this kind of goes back to it being, oh, but this is my baby. I'm so excited about it. This is my brilliant idea. We don't like for anyone not to be on board, right? So if we think about the diffusion of innovation curve that some of your listeners might be familiar with, it's used in technology a lot where we have the innovators, the early adopters, right? The early majority, the late majority, and the laggards. And it's sort of that curve of who is most open to or embracing of change. And you've got those innovators, the disruptors who are driving it, and then you've got all the way down to the laggards. I see so many leaders focus on the laggards first (laughs) or the the late majorities. Like they've just got to get everybody. And as, as soon as that one person in a town hall meeting is really dragging their feet and really, it's almost like, well, now we've got to convince that person. And we're spending all of our energy on the person or the group of people who are the least likely to embrace the change first. And we miss all the energy earlier on in the curve, right? Where those folks would help carry the water of the persuasion and influence. I don't think it's helpful to try to convince people. We can almost never convince people, right? So how do we just create an environment of excitement and energy around the change? And eventually those laggards will get on board or there will be consequences for them not, or they'll just self-select out, right? And so- That's a huge mistake people make is like going straight to that hardest group to get on board and starting with them. What I would say in terms of a little bit longer answer is we have several different kind of layers of stakeholder mapping that we do with leaders inside organizations to think about where's informal power inside the organization, right? There's formal authority, but there's also informal power and authority. We want to understand the psychographics behind different stakeholders, either inside our organization or, you know, partners and external stakeholders as well. So not just are you a funder, are you a staff member, are you a board member, kind of the demographics, if you will, or the roles, but also understanding how open are different folks to change? Where are the power centers inside our organizations? What's going to drive different groups of people? And then where do we start, right? Who needs to be on board first? Who are our champions who can help carry the water? So there's a fairly sophisticated stakeholder mapping process with lots of different layers that we go through. And that helps us decide what makes sense as a starting point for you inside your organization with this change at this moment in time. But I would say generally, (laughs) let's not make the mistake of going to the hardest people to get on board first and spending all of our time and energy there while missing out on the enthusiasm and energy that's probably present and we're missing out on. Right. Because you want to make sure that you can continue to build on that and have those folks also be ambassadors of the change that's being introduced. So I'm thinking about, and you mentioned them earlier, board members, a very key uh, stakeholder in this process. How do you work with boards to make sure that they are involved enough, but they're not getting into the day-to-day of the organization's operations, but they are maintaining their oversight and accountability of the organization, and they're helping to carry forward change in a, in a good way. Do you approach that group differently than you're approaching you know, staff within the organization, or are there just common principles that you follow? 
I guess there are certainly common principles in terms of understanding the drivers for folks and how they will perceive and respond to change. So the specific dreams, desires, fears, anxieties, motivations, right, might be different for board members or individual board members than for staff or individual staff or staff at different levels of leadership and authority within the organization. But understanding those drivers is a core principle. Understanding the psychological triggers that make change hard and how they're playing out at the board, they may play out differently at a board level than they would at a staff level, but the triggers are still the same. The one thing that's kind of fascinating me recently when it comes to boards and change, particularly in this environment we're in right now, where I'm getting very excited about moonshot opportunities right? Like just given how much is shaking up in the world right now, there's a huge opportunity to solve problems that impact millions of people for good. If we're willing to dream and to take the risk, I was just listening to some of your earlier episodes where folks were talking a lot about risk and It reminded me of this challenge I think we have around, are we actually going to leap and make a radical solution to solve the problem for good, to end the problem for good? Because what happens when we do? Does that mean our organization goes away? And I think this is a real tension we don't have enough conversations about in the nonprofit sector. And as a previous board chair and a current board member, I've served on lots of nonprofit boards. You know, we have a fiduciary duty to protect and preserve the organization. And as a result, I think sometimes boards are afraid to solve the problem for good. Because what does that mean for the organization? Or is pursuing that radical solution putting the organization at too much risk because it's disruptive by nature, right? Most of our social sector is kind of designed to tweak around the edges and make some incremental changes. And last year, we fed 3,000 hungry kids. And this year, we hope to feed 3,500 hungry kids. Is that the conversation we should be having? But I think that, again, that's the tension for boards, right? Like we believe in the vision and the mission, but our fiduciary duty is to protect and preserve the organization, which is kind of a status quo mindset. And so I'm really excited about like having more conversations about what is the role of boards in some of these moonshot leaps, these really next big initiatives that could end some of these problems for good. I agree with that. I think that having that initial conversation as an organization about risk, defining it, what do we mean when we say things are radical, things are risky, and just teasing that out. Because if you look within boards at each board member's definition of risk, it might vary, right? And it might even differ from the organization's approach to risk and its own risk appetite. So I completely agree just starting that conversation around where are we trying to go? What do we mean when we say risk? And what does it mean when something is risky? And how do we move forward? 
because at the end of the day, we're talking about moonshots, we're talking about nonprofits, and we're in that space of risk. So it's inherent. And so how do you go along that change journey of exploring, like, how do you get from point A to B? So that's all really good points around engaging with boards. And that concludes part one of the series. Next week, Nick and Nancy will go in more depth regarding leading within organizational change. Additionally, if you want to build a stronger board structure, make your grant process more responsive, and transform your organization to work more efficiently, then schedule a discovery call with the Buildup Advisory Group. The Buildup Advisory Group strives to be brave enough to truly be risk takers, be creative in ways others are afraid to be, and approach philanthropy with a unique and fresh perspective. We would love to hear more about your brave mission to change the world. Thank you for listening to this episode of Nonprofit Buildup. To access the show notes, additional resources, and information on how you can work with us, please visit our website at buildupadvisory.com. We invite you to listen again next week as we share another episode about scaling impact by building infrastructure and capacity in the nonprofit sector. Keep building bravely.